your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking there. We are continuing our series on walking with God along pathways of grace. So we're talking about the the numerous means of grace, the numerous methods and practices that God has given us that we might walk with Him. So we've covered the Word, the Word of God, and talked about that and how that's a key means of grace or pathway of grace to our relationship with Him and following Him and obeying Him together. We talked about prayer. And now we're going to spend some time talking about fellowship. Fellowship. So we're going to learn more about what fellowship is in this message in the next few as we examine this key means of grace. Well, listen to this story to start us off. Pastor J.R. Woodward writes in his, his blog the following. In the September 20th, 2004 issue of McLean's magazine, Leanne George recounts this tragic story. One November day in 2002, Jim Sulkers, a 53-year-old retired municipal worker from Winnipeg, Canada, climbed into bed, pulled the covers up, and died. It's not too remarkable that happens, but the remarkable part follows next. Nearly two years later, on August 25th, 2004, police who had been called by concerned relatives entered Sulker's apartment and found his body in a mummified state. Everything else in his tidy one-bedroom apartment was intact although the food in his fridge was spoiled and his wall calendar was two years out of date. Two years. Mr. Sulker's death went undiscovered for several reasons. He was reclusive. He was estranged from family members. He had a medical condition that prevented his body from decomposing. In addition, automatic banking deposited his disability pension and withdrew utilities and other expenses as they came due. Terence Moran, who along with Neil Postman co-founded the Media Ecology Program at uh, New York University, said, for many practical purposes, this man was virtually alive throughout that time. This man's life was extended for two years by the technology he used. And Postman would have said that what you have here is a lack of community. Mr. Sulker's case, you have a very serious lack of community, that he could be dead for two years and no one would know it. Sadly, nowadays, there are many who live just like Mr. Sulker's. And even sadder still is that there are many Christians who live like Mr. Sulker's. And if something were to happen to them, tragic, perhaps no one would know. Particularly in the West, many Christians perceived life on a very individualistic plane. They see life as about me and Jesus. And all that other stuff follows after that in some distant second. This isn't 
what the Christian life is meant to be like. This isn't God's plan. This isn't who God is Himself. God Himself is a triune God. Triune God. That means three in one. He's a triunity. There's one God, but there are three persons. And God Himself has known community of a sort or relationship from eternity past. So He is a relational, community-oriented God. And I believe that the Scriptures would teach us that we cannot truly know God and we cannot obey Him apart from relationship, apart from community, apart from what the Bible calls fellowship. So we're going to cover a number of Scriptures and a number of points related to fellowship from the Scriptures, but I want to start us out by reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, a key text on the community that all believers are called to. But before we do that, let's pray and seek God. Lord, we just thank You for Your truth, Lord. Thank You for Your life-changing truth, Lord. Thank You for the radical good news, the radical Word of God, and how it affects our lives, Lord. Without You, we would live our lives separately. Thank You, Lord, that You bring Your truth into our lives. And I ask You, Lord, as we go through this teaching today, as we go through Your Scriptures, Lord, as the Gospel is proclaimed, would You speak to us? Would You do more, Lord, than just have this be a time where I talk? But Lord, according to Your commands and ways, would You use this time? Pour out Your Spirit, Lord, and and speak to us and teach us of You and Your ways and be glorified, we pray. We thank You, Lord. We're dependent on You. We're limited. We're weak. We're sinful. But You are faithful. So we ask, Confident in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And jumping down to verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians chapter 4, 1-16. 
This is a picture in Ephesians, and there's many other Scriptures throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, I think the whole Bible resonates with this theme of Christian community, of godly community, of fellowship. And this Scripture in Ephesians 4 is a captivating picture of the people of God, each with different gifts, called to be joined to one another like a body is put together. Hooked together in such a way that any part taken out injures the body. Interrelated and with a purpose. That the body itself might be built up into maturity. That the body might be built up into the fullness of the measure of Christ. When God decided He wanted to glorify His name in Christ, He sent His Son to accomplish His work, and then He called God's people by the Spirit to the Son through the Gospel to Him, but to one another. Part of being a Christian is not just believing in Jesus, though that is absolutely essential and important. But part of being a Christian is to walk in community with other believers. We are called to a corporate life. We are called to the vital means of grace of Christian fellowship. Life in Christ is truly better together. So we're going to take some time this morning and over the next few weeks to learn about fellowship, to learn about this corporate call that we all have, this call to community. So let's do that this morning. First, our, the foundation of our fellowship, God's community. If you read the Bible and go through the story in the Bible, again, you see this theme throughout the entire Bible. So in the very beginning, early on, God calls Abraham to Himself. He calls Abraham to walk with Him. But if you read the Scriptures there and, and His call of Abraham, you'll see that He didn't just call Abraham to Himself. It wasn't just about God and Abraham. God called Abraham for a purpose, a corporate purpose, a community purpose. He called Abraham that He might bless him and make him a great nation and through him bless all the families on the earth. So God's intentions right from the beginning were to create a corporate people. So His promise to Abraham was to do something bigger than just Abraham to actually bring people together, to make a people for Himself, to bless many through Abraham. As we follow along in Scripture, God calls Abraham and then He calls His descendants. He calls Jacob and his sons and the tribe. And then He calls them out of Egypt. And you hear the same theme again, the same call in Exodus chapter 19. God calls His people. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's desire in redeeming Israel is to have a people for Himself. So right in the beginning we see that. God's intentions are for corporate people. We need to hear this. And, and you've you probably heard this before. You've heard the stories. But, but if you're like me, you stew in individualism. You stew in a culture that is, is oriented towards you as an individual. And it's oriented towards consumerism. We live in a culture that is really hyper-individualistic. And our technology is feeding that. 
So things like chat and instant messaging and, and blogging, I'm, nothing wrong with those. Those can be used for great good. But they're feeding into this individualistic orientation that we have in creating virtual friendships and virtual community that is not community. It leaves us holding the reins and controlling what sort of community we'll have. And if it doesn't serve us, if it isn't about us, we can just turn the computer off or we can stop getting on that blog or get off I am with that person. So our culture feeds it. We, are, we stew in this stuff. We see life this way. We think individualistically. So no matter how well you understand this, no matter how much you've been there and done that in the Scriptures, this is a key topic for us. And I find myself, even going through this, and God is still working on me after years of of hearing this sort of teaching, that I still think this way, and I still have to have my thinking reoriented by the Scriptures to think corporately. God does not think individualistically, primarily and merely, though He does relate to us as individuals. I don't ever want to forget that. But let that not give us an excuse to think that God thinks that way primarily. He thinks corporately primarily. So He looks at us as a body first, foremost. Yes, as individuals in His body, but as a body. He is interested in what's going on corporately through us as a local church, and through all His churches. So with Abraham, the call is there. With Israel, the call. And then if you fast forward to the New Testament, the same story is there. The same consistent theme. Titus, chapter 2. And we find this throughout the Scriptures. Titus, chapter 2. It says, "...waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ." who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a person for His own possession who is zealous for good works. Is that what yours says? No. A people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Jump into 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and you could spend your afternoon and your week just going through the Scriptures related to this. So, so for some of these, just listen. And hear the themes and the truth. First Peter chapter two. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you you have received mercy. Our true nature as a church is corporate, and not merely an assembly of unconnected individuals. We are called to be a people. We don't attend church. We are to be the church. We, don't come, we are not to come to church as individuals unconnected. We are to join and be with God's people as part of His church. And to deny this truth by pursuing individualism or independence or to isolate ourselves from this express purpose of God, I believe, and And I want to be careful here because we believe in grace and I don't want you to be motivated by guilt. But, hear what what I think the Scriptures teach. If that is your experience, if that is your orientation, I believe it's clear disobedience to God's purposes for you in your life. Now, that's not to put pressure on you to join our church. Though, that would be great. 
But that is to let you hear what the Scriptures say in the call of God to be part of His people. And whether it's this church or another church isn't as important as what God calls us to, to be a corporate people. Any conception of the Christian life apart from this is great error. Now, there's grace available to help you in your conviction and in change. God is very patient. And we are, as a church, are patient as well. So you are welcome here. You're welcome to worship with us. We hope that you're blessed. And you're welcome to do that over an extended time. We know it may take time. And we know the realities of finding a good church. We acknowledge that. So we want you to to not feel pressured, but to feel pressured. And not us. By God and His call. Because if this is your orientation, I'm not saying that if you're not a member yet, it is. But if it's your orientation, you are walking in error. God wants to help you. And God wants to bless you. Mark Dever, if you could put this next quote up, says something very startling in line with this. And if you know Mark Dever, he's a pastor and theologian in the D.C. area. He can kind of say things for effect sometimes. But he says this very startling statement. If you are not a member of the church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. Hang in there. I don't mean for a second that you literally have to have your name on a membership card in a church somewhere to go to heaven. I believe in justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. At the same time, in the New Testament, it seems that the local church is there to verify or falsify our claims to be Christians. The man in 1 Corinthians 5, who was sleeping with his father's wife, thought of himself as a Christian. He goes on to say, I don't care how much you cry during singing or preaching. If you do not live a life marked by love toward others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. None. Do you want to know that your new life is real? Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. Joining a church won't save you. It's only the death of Christ that saves you. He alone is our righteousness. But if He really is our righteousness, if we really love Him whom we have not seen, it will show itself by us loving those that we do see. We are called to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling in the context of a local church. It's for good. It's for your blessing. It's for your protection that God calls us to community, to corporate Christian community. So what does it mean? What does it really look like? What does it mean practically? If I'm to be part of a fellowship of believers, a local Christian body, a church, what does it mean? Is it really just meeting at the same time with other Christians? Is it acknowledging the same truths, the same doctrine together? Well, the biblical picture includes those things, but so much more. Really, community is one of the best words to describe what we're called to. We're a group called to be a group of people joined by a common life in Christ, united by common values and a common purpose, devoted to living out our life together within 
broader society. This is the church life God calls us to. And this is to be a witness to His glory to those around us. Many of you probably have read the story in Acts chapter 2 of the early church. It's a captivating picture of church life. A captivating picture of the early church. And I think it's in Scripture for that reason among many. Listen to this description in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, in the temple together, in breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a, what a compelling picture. What a compelling picture of church life. These people joined together, experiencing God together. And loving each other and loving the Lord to the point that they're even willing to sell their own possessions to provide for the rest of the body. Now, that's not a requirement for church membership in our church. So, don't worry. But it is a sign of a healthy church when people are willing to do that. And if you read and study that, it was entirely free will. Entirely of their own volition to do that. There's no compulsion that they had from the leadership to do that. But what a picture of Christian love. What a picture of community. And that's what we're called to. That picture you see, that picture we see in Acts 2, is to be our experience. God put that in the Scriptures to give us a picture of the life He calls us to. So, don't stop longing for that. Don't settle for anything less than that. That's what we're called to. We are called to community. We are called to be united at the deepest level by the Spirit of God. We are called to fellowship. This is a word the Scripture uses. We translate it into English as fellowship. J.I. Packer says this about this word fellowship. He says, We should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury, an optional addition, to the exercises of private devotions. Fellowship is one of the great words of the New Testament. It denotes something that is vital to a Christian's spiritual health and central to the church's true life. The church will flourish and Christians will be strong only when there is fellowship. So the Bible uses this fellowship word and calls us to this fellowship and it's a word that's also translated as participation or partnership or communion. The word in Greek is koinonia, which doesn't mean anything to most of us. We translate that as fellowship. And it's also used for partnership, participation, communion, doing something together, sharing something in common, and joining in a mutual endeavor that may cost us something. So the, the biblical writers took that word to describe the nature of our relationship as believers. 
And it's used in a, a number of different ways. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, there's that word, of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 1 John, it speaks of this as well. Is that up there? Yeah. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This word fellowship is used to describe our relationship with God. And it's used to describe, I believe, God's relationship among the Trinity. So fellowship is a very glorious thing that we're called to. The Trinity fellowships together. And through Christ, by the power of the Spirit, because of the will of the Father, He draws us into this fellowship. So we have fellowship. We have partnership. We have communion. We have participation with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. But that's also part of our fellowship with one another. So we are called to this deep relationship. Really the deepest relationship there is. Among the Trinity, we are called to participate together in. So you can see why this is a key concept. Why it's a holy calling for the people of God to have fellowship with God and to have fellowship with one another. And they're not ever disconnected in Scripture. So when you're called to Christ, you're not just called to Christ. I'm not just called to relationship with Christ. I am called to fellowship with the triune God and a fellowship with His people. Do you see why an independent Christian is a contradiction and an offense ultimately to the Gospel? Because we're called to fellowship, to relationship. In the New Testament, to be exiled from a church was considered a curse. To not be part of a local church was considered a curse. And it was meant to be a horrible thing that would drive believers back to the church, would drive them to repentance. That's why the early church practiced when needed what we call excommunication. Probably not the best word. But they would put people out of the church not to punish them, but to discipline them for the purpose that they would realize it's just too costly. My choice to pursue sin is too costly because it costs me fellowship with God's people and with God. And so it was considered a curse to be put out of the church. It was considered to be so terrible for the believer that the believer would say, I don't want this, and run back in repentance to God and to His people. That's how it operates in the New Testament. Yet today we have many believers who are wandering from church to church and never plugging in. And again, there's seasons. I don't, you know, there's times we move and we may find a new church, and that's to be understood. And that went on in the New Testament times too. But prolonged disconnect from a local church is not seen biblically as a good thing. It's seen as a curse, and God wants you to enter into fellowship with Him and with His people. He calls that us to this this fellowship. So that's the nature of our fellowship. Well, there's wonderful blessing as a result of fellowship. As a result of this relationship with God and this relationship with His people. God has much blessing 
God is good. His commands are good. His ways are good. Calling us to a local church is a good thing. There's blessing for us and through us. There's the experience of God in ways we never would have known otherwise for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to work through being part of a fellowship by fellowshipping with one another. One aspect, one key way that He does that is growth in godliness. If you want to grow as a Christian, God has so designed things, He has something very special in mind for you to grow. He wants to see you grow in the Lord. He wants to see your joy in Christ and your faith and your peace and your Christ-likeness increase. So He's designed something very special with you in mind. And it's called fellowship. It's called the local church. And He has said things through His Word like, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He said to the Thessalonians. Hebrews 3, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's given us relationship to encourage one another. I, I can't imagine going a week without being with you guys. I need to be here on Sundays. I need more than Sundays too. I'm not very strong. I'm not very able. I'm not, I don't know if there's anybody like this. I know it's not me who can stand on his own or her own and walk with God. I can't. It takes me about a day and a half to get discouraged and drift. I don't know. Is there someone here who goes, can go longer than that? Maybe you can go a week or a month. I can't. But that's by design. He's made me a sheep. And sheep need to be with other sheep. And they need to be under the chief shepherd. And yes, I'm to serve as a shepherd. I believe that God's given me grace to do that. But I'm still very dependent on you guys and on fellowship. We need to be encouraged. We need help. We need the, the strength that comes from being together and, and pointing out to one another the grace of God at work in our lives and reminding each other of the Gospel and forgiveness and, and life if we're to resist sin and if we're to grow. So God's given us fellowship. Galatians 6 talks about this. James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's healing that comes when we confess our sins. It's a good thing. Now, you don't have to go and spill your guts to everybody all the time, but to come to others in the body to say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how I fell this week. Can I just let you know that? Can we pray together? There's healing that comes. If you're struggling with a sin, if there's some sin that's dogging you, I encourage you to find another trusted brother or sister and confess that sin. Let them know. Don't hide anything. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but somebody should know each thing about your struggles. Different people may know different things about you, but, but, but don't hide anything. Find brothers and sisters to confess your sins. Why? Because we're morbid and we like to do that? No, because there's healing on the other side of that. As we come together, there's grace, there's strength to walk with God. That's what James 5 says. So there's growth, there's mutual care. Mutual care. God has designed the body so that we could be cared for. You know, guys, life is hard at times. And sooner or later, every single one of us 
is going to struggle with something difficult. It might be sickness. It might be loss. It might be lack. Each one of us, if the Lord doesn't come back quite yet, is going to die. And some of us, yeah, we'll go in our sleep. But some of us, and a lot of us, it's going to be through some suffering. God's called us to community to provide mutual care for one another. And what a glorious thing when the church gathers around people who are going through trials and loves them and cares for them. And you guys excel at this. I just wish we could do more and more. And you guys have been faithful and diligent to do that for one another. I want us to grow and grow so that we can show the glory of God as we do this on an even larger scale. God has designed the body to care for its fellow members. 1 Corinthians 12 says at the end, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Sam Rayburn, the politician, was he Speaker of the House? I can't remember. He's Speaker of the House got terminal cancer and was dying. He lived in D.C., like they all do. And he went back to his hometown of Bonham, Texas. Did I pronounce that right? Bonham, Texas. Steve's from Texas, in case you didn't know. And they asked him, why? Why are you doing that? We've got great medical facilities in the D.C. area. And he said, more or less, they know how to take care of a guy when he's dying. They know how to love and care for it. They know how to do community in my hometown. So he forsook the greatest medical facilities he could get to find community. That's what the church is to be like. We are to know, and we do know, you guys do know, how to care for someone when they're suffering and weak. So God has benefit for us in the care we provide for one another. We also benefit from the diversity of gifts. God has gifted us all differently. And some of us know how to do bulletins, and others don't know how to do bulletins. And thank God for people that have eyes for detail. Because I'd be in trouble without such help. And there's other different types of gifts that we have. And there's benefit when we come together. We can do things together in the grace of God according to our gifts as we're knit together that we'll never accomplish on our own. And God's designed it that way. And so He's given other people pieces of the puzzle. And you can't complete the puzzle on your own, so stop trying And if you are for some reason disconnected from the body, get reconnected. And we'll spend some time as we go through this series talking about perhaps some of the reasons that we get disconnected. It can be just schedule, busyness. It can be lack of faith. It can be hurt and sin. You know, if you're going to be in the church, you're going to be with saved sinners. And the sinner part of it means there's going to be trouble and people are going to offend you. And I don't want to do that. But I probably will sooner or later. And maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, you bet. Just did it, whatever. Well, come to me afterwards, please, and talk to me. That's going to happen. We need to forgive. We need to be able to go to one another and say, you know, I just want to let you know that was very difficult for me, and I, I forgive you. I do want to talk to you about that. Can we, can we talk through that? And work through it to love each other so that the pieces can be there and the body can be together. There's this diversity of gifts that He's given us for our benefit. God has done that on purpose. Another benefit, it presents a compelling witness to the world. Our unity, we talked about this the other week, our unity and our love shines bright to the world. 
And one of the best ways we can reach people for Christ is simply invite them to hang out with us. Invite them to be around us. And they'll observe something they've never seen before. Maybe they've seen something like it in their, their uh, biological family, but they probably have never seen it anywhere else. And that is true love and unity among very different people. We are different. We're all different from one another, and that's a good thing. And, and I believe the more different, the better. Within God's creation and His purposes, as we're united around the Gospel, the better. Because it shines to God's glory when there's love and unity among people that are different. And so God's called us to fellowship in, in a church to present to the world a compelling witness to His Son so that the world would know that He did indeed send His Son and He dwells among us. John 13, it says, By this all men will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. And we could go on and on. There's many other benefits, and many other practices of our fellowship. Let's just spend a little time talking about some of the substance of our fellowship. We are to be purposeful in our fellowship. We are to pursue certain practices that the Scripture calls us to. As we grow in Christ, we learn about these things. And I'm not giving these so that you can go out and make sure you do every single one of them this week. Because part of the reality of the body is as we grow together and walk in the truth together, each of us may learn a different part of this. And we bring our strengths and weaknesses to the body. And we develop as a body and we grow in Christ together. And it's amazing as we do that, many of these practices we will start doing even unconsciously. Because that's how the body works. God gives us things. And perhaps God's going to speak to you about one of these topics. Let Him do that. Be responsive. And then bring what you learn to the body. Bring that strength. Bring that understanding. And live it out. And we will benefit. And we will grow corporately. We always grow corporately. That's God's plan for us. Jerry Bridges said, those first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities but to a relationship. They understood that they had entered the, this relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, not by joining an organization. And they realized that their fellowship with God logically brought them into fellowship with one another. Through their union with Christ, they were formed into a, a spiritually organic community. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ with all the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. And some of the things we're called to, on the next overhead, we're called to worship God together. Worship is at the center of what we do, both in our worship in song and expression, and our worship by how we live and how we relate to one another. We are called to be worshipers together. We're to pray for one another. We're to carry one another's burdens. We're to encourage one another. There's many of these one another type verses in Scripture. Confess our sins to one another. Correct one another. That one can be hard, but it is so, so helpful. And I want us to be a, a church that does that in grace, in humility, and in love. We need to be able to do that and learn to correct one another when needed. Serve one another. And we are to invite one another into our lives to walk with God. Really, fellowship, uh, C.J. Mahaney, the pastor and leader in Sovereign Grace Ministries, says that the communication fellowship is the communication of our current relationship with and experience of God Himself. So our fellowship, a biblical fellowship together, is 
communicating our walks, sharing our lives, sharing our walks with God together. One, one point I want to hit in closing, just so that we understand, for us, a key expression of fellowship, how we do fellowship together. There's many contexts that we have to do this. But for us as a church, a key concept, and really an essential one, is what we call care groups. Our care groups are, are groups... Duh, well, I guess, it's in the word. They're groups that gather together, that meet together, that seek to build relationship together to practice and implement these very things we're talking about. And recently, I, we kind of reinvented the, the word care to represent what we do, so it would be a way for us to remember what we do. So care, C-A-R-E, stands for what we're seeking to do as we meet together, as we build our relationship together. The C, the reason that we have small groups, one of the reasons is to care for one another, to provide mutual care, to be there with each other, to share our gifts. Small groups are so important. We can talk about fellowship. We can talk about being part of the church. But if we never move beyond just worshiping together, which is, which is key and central, we're not going to really be experiencing the fellowship God calls us to. It's, I love Sundays. And I think most of you guys love Sundays. You keep on coming back, which is great. I love being here and being with you guys and worshiping. But we're limited in what we can do on a Sunday. So we can worship corporately. We can hear the Word. We can kind of catch up with one another. But we really can't get to know one another. We really can't do a whole lot of encouraging. And that's one of the difficulties for me I love being with you guys, and I love seeing your faces, and I love talking with you, but, but I find Sundays are so hard sometimes because we finish up and, and there's only so much time. And, and, and I would love just to spend, after we finish on a Sunday, the whole next two hours with just one of you and find out how you're doing and, and pray with you, but I can't. And what I find often on Sundays is there's this one and then that one and this person, this friend, this person, I, and I want to get with all of them and I want to hear about how they're all doing, but I just can't. It's impossible. So that's why we have small groups. Because we're called to this fellowship and we've found it impossible to do that adequately without creating smaller contexts where we can go deeper and walk more closely. That's why we have our small groups. John Stott says, the value of the small group is that it can become a community of related persons and in it the benefit of relatedness cannot be missed nor its challenge evaded. I do not think it is an exaggeration to say, therefore, that small groups are indispensable for our growth into spiritual maturity. So we have small groups, and we call them care groups. C is for care. A is for application of God's Word to our lives together. So the A is we come together, we meet together, but we also walk together during the week, and we apply the Word together. We are looking to be doers of the Word. So, so our care groups... Though we will study the Bible at times, the emphasis is application. So, in some ways, we may not study as deeply as we would like, but that's only because we need to make the emphasis, we want to make the emphasis, we believe we're called to be doers of the Word and application of the Word. So, in our meetings, we talk about the Word and we talk about applying the Word to our lives. And then we seek to walk with each other and applying the Word together. 
the R in care. Reaching out together. That we are called to be a people who are a witness to Jesus Christ and reach out. But you know what? Too often we think about reaching out to non-believers around us, those who don't know Christ yet, in individualistic terms, don't we? I've got to go out and I've got to, I've got to give a tract to somebody or I've got to talk to my friend. And certainly you need to do that. But, but I don't think Scripture calls us to do it just that way. We need one another. We need encouragement. We need help. We need to do it in community. The Alpha Program. We run the Alpha Program a couple times a year. And the Alpha Program is just simply getting a meal together and then talking about Christ, talking about the, the truths of the Bible, and then discussing it. And the Alpha Program is very popular and very fruitful. And I believe one of the reasons that it is is because it's oriented around community. That you're hearing the truth and you're seeing community and group and relationship. There's, there's a power in relationship. There's a power in community. And Alpha has capitalized on that. And we too are to be community and to reach out in community. So our care groups are about encouraging one another and outreach and walking and doing that together. And the final, the E, is for encouragement through biblical fellowship. We seek to encourage one another in truth. So I don't know if you're an acronym guy or a woman, if you like that, but it serves me. C-A-R-E. Care, application, reaching, encouragement. That's what our small groups are about as we seek to apply these truths. If the band could come up as we get ready to close. Many of you guys are exemplary in these things. And this is not by way of correction, but encouragement. But I want us to grow all the more in fellowship, in our pursuit of fellowship, in our pursuit of relationship. I have seen, and I believe you've seen this too over the years, that there is a strong, direct relationship between those who prosper in Christ and grow and those who don't. And that, that prosperity in Christ is directly related to the degree that they build relationally with other believers. I saw that very early on in my Christian life. I've seen it in my own life. I just remember early on, I was a new believer, and I was meeting with three other young men and an older man who was discipling us. And we were all so excited about the Lord. We had all just come to know the Lord. We were on fire. Everything was new and, and just so fantastic. And, and, and we, were just, we would share stories together and laugh and, and worship together. One of the men who was just as excited as the rest of us, when the next semester came around, stopped attending our small group. And he drifted. He got a girlfriend who didn't know the Lord, stopped meeting, wandered away from God, and basically denied Christ. I had been with him. He was on fire for God. I ultimately don't know whether he knows the Lord or not. But what was the difference for my friend? One key difference was he separated himself from the people he most needed to be around. 
sadly, I've seen it repeated time and time again through the years. People who do not, Christians who are not pursuing relationships, and watch, I've watched them drift away. We are like coals in a fire. You take that coal out of the fire, it dies out. You keep it in the fire, it burns. It burns hot. And it makes the other coals burn hot too. And together there's heat and there's effect. But a coal by itself dies out. God has called us to fellowship. He's called us to relationship. He's called us to taste of that which will be perfect in heaven. Fellowship with God and with one another. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask You to speak to us. Lord, You, you are calling us to, to blessing and riches in You. But Lord, some of us, and perhaps each of us to some degree, have neglected pursuing relationship in You, pursuing fellowship, pursuing perhaps participation in a small group. And Lord, we want to burn for You. And I pray, Lord God, that You would grant us conviction and faith and change in our lives that You might be glorified through this fellowship, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen.